Thank you, Lord. Thank you that uh, you have not left us alone, that you have uh, that you have pursued us, that you have invited us into your family, that you have done everything possible to uh, make a way for us to be with you. And as we open our hearts today uh, to your word, Lord, I just pray that you would teach us all. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I thought about it when I titled this message, How to Have a Happy Heart. I thought, I bet they're just going to read this and roll her eyes. Because <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a, a happy person. Linda asked me every once in a while, are you happy? Well, what's that mean? <laughs> I'm not unhappy. <laughs> I don't even like the word though because it always seemed to me to be a, a, a temporary thing. It seems to be a bit. I heard somebody teaching one time, happy is just that fleeting thing that you have when it's gone. And we separated, I've heard many teaching that separate the, the emotional, the thing that you have when you're happy about something with the joy that's something that's, that's deeper and more lasting. And there's truth in that, but I think maybe we try to separate a little bit too much. So if I don't know anything about it, why do you want to bother listening to me? All I can say to that is God's Word is still true, and we're going to learn together. Because I know these things can work. I've seen it work. And I know a lot of things that don't work. And I've seen that too. I was reading in the book of Proverbs, which is full of wisdom. I used to have a practice, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to have a practice reading the days. 31 Proverbs, you got 31 days in, in most months. You can read a proverb a day. And if you're not familiar with Proverbs, it's a great thing to do because you'll find gems in there all through it. Just full of of things that, you, especially if you've been around a while, you read it and you'll think, oh, you know what, I've seen that happen. I know that's right. That's exactly the way the world works. Solomon often contrasts uh, something bad with something good. Say one thing and then another thing. Contrast. It's also speaking in some in, in, in general terms. This is the way the world works in general. Does it mean that every situation is going to work out exactly right? No. But it's explaining to you how things ought to be. And how things will generally be if you, if you conduct yourself according to the principles that are laid out there. It does present some translation difficulties though. And part of that has to do with the the fact that you get your translation cues from context. Well, in the Proverbs, you've got little couplets, little quotes, so you don't have a lot of context to work with. So you can read a proverb in three or four different translations. We'll see that today. And it doesn't even seem to say the same thing. And it can be really confusing for somebody, especially if you've been raised to believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Well, 
how does this then that I've got two versions and they say something totally different and one of them wrong? Well, maybe. I mean, their translators can, can make errors too. There have been some erroneous translations made. But the interesting thing about the Proverbs and the thing that I learned as I study it is even though you may find some differences that lead you to a completely different con conclusion about what's being said, it still points you to the truth. There's still wisdom and truth, and there's not any not anything you will find anything in it that is not true. You might find something that uh, points to a different truth, but you won't find anything in it that's not true. And this one that we're going to study today uh, is in 1515. It's no different. I used to read it and, and be kind of sad because I thought, well, what a sad thing to say. That uh, well, if it sounded to me like, well, if you're if you're afflicted, it's just going you're just going to have bad days. There's nothing for it. But if you're okay, you have a cheerful heart. Everything's going to be great. Well, I read it a couple of weeks ago, and all of a sudden I got it. This is about attitude. And then I started to study it. And then I wasn't so sure what it was about anymore. It says simply this. It says, All the days of the afflicted are bad, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. And when you go and look at the words, because that's what you do when you're trying to understand something. If you want to really study I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want to. I don't know how many times I heard my dad teach on something and it just seemed way out there. It just seemed like something that was too big for me to ever comprehend. And how, Lord, how can that? Why would you? I would get upset with the Lord even a little bit, and I would say, "Well, why would you make this hard so hard? If you want us to understand it, why would you make it so hard?" We. Forget, though, in that kind of statement, that we're we're being led into the world of an infinite, almighty God who created everything. Do you not think that maybe there are going to be layers that are deeper? Doesn't mean that we can't read it and understand truth just by reading it. But if you're curious about something, if you really want to understand, you can go and you can look deeper. So the first word that caught my eye was the uh, the word there for afflicted. Well, what does it mean, afflicted? Well, depending on the translation, you might read afflicted. You might read poor. You might read humble or wretched, or even wretched. But then the the word for good is equally perplexing. Or the, or the word for cheerful, you have the word for cheerful in this particular numeric standard, yours might have a different word there. But the word for cheerful is even more perplexing because it's used all over the scripture. And it usually means just good, or pleasant, or agreeable, cheerful, cheerful here. But it's the same word, for example, when you read in Genesis, in the creation story, God saw that it was good. Same word. 
Why in the world would you translate it cheerful here? You see it as the opposite of evil in other places. You see it in reference to God's good provision, His promises, His Word. You see it also translated beautiful, splendid, choice as in a good, uh, a good food animal. Prosperity even in a couple of places. Favor. And if we want to get even more confused, sometimes it's translated better, sometimes it's translated best. But it's all about the context. There's only one other place where the word cheerful gets used, where it's used here, and it's in Zechariah 8.19, and it's talking about uh, the feasts. And, of course, we got the word feast in here, too. But he's talking about when God redeems it. He's talking about when God redeems Israel. And, and, and the feast that will be going on when God redeems Israel. But context. Context is essential. And sometimes Proverbs doesn't give you a lot of context. So that's why you see the, the variations. And, and the alternate readings. In fact, the Lesson English Bible reads completely different. It says... All the days of the poor are hard, but goodness of heart is a continual feast. And you know, you read that and you think, well, you might read that and say your circumstances may be difficult, but if you have a good heart, it will sustain you. Well, okay, that works too. The truth remains, and I believe what's really being got in regards to how you read this, both readings emphasize different things, or they emphasize the truth in different ways, you might put it that way. The common truth is this, what's in your heart makes all the difference. We all know that affliction is real. We face it every day. I love that uh, Linda was doing the, the story on David Brayer today. We didn't plan that or anything, but I thought, what a great segue into this, because here's somebody who obviously is facing a great deal of affliction and yet continues to serve the Lord and, and, and brings good out of it. We're, it's expected. It's expected that we're going to have trouble. Jesus said it in John 16:33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It takes many forms. It might be persecution. It might be. It might be poverty. Although I don't think anyone here. I know some of us have less than others. But everyone here in America is blessed beyond measure. All you got to do is look at some of the other places in the world to know that. It might be sickness. It might be a long-term disability. But affliction is real. Nobody doubts that. So what in the world is it saying? Is it saying that, well, well just too bad for you? No, it's saying, where does your heart live? That's what I was originally going to call this. Where does your heart live? If, if you live in your affliction, if it's all you talk about, if it's all you think about, all your days are going to be bad. It's about your heart. Your heart can live in affliction. 
where everything is filtered through your trial and everything that you think about is filtered through what's happening to you. We always, you can always see what's wrong with every given situation. You can always be expecting the worst because that's what you've seen before. And if you do that, you're probably going to be prone to depression. Where does your heart live? It can live also in the goodness of God. The affliction doesn't necessarily go away. But if you're living in the goodness of God, if that's where your heart is, then things are different. You're motivated by love. You see the blessing of God everywhere, and there's always somewhere to see it. I've been really, I've been delighted. I have been watching. Blood didn't know I was going to say this, but I've been watching her lately. And I see her making a conscious effort to do this, to find God's blessing in everything that's going on, to find something good. Oh man, that just blesses my heart all over. But it expects, a heart that's living in the goodness of God expects good things. And it's able to rejoice. And not only that, it's able to share. It's able to share that joy with those around. And, and we have a platform. When we're able to do that from the position that some of us are in, we have a, people are listening. People are going to pay attention. Because there's only one reason why it could be that way. Because we belong to God and there's something higher. We have a joy that's coming from somewhere besides our circumstances. If you want to know where your heart is, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know where your heart is, listen to what comes out of your mouth. That'll tell you where your heart is. And I say that uh, and I'm sober when I think about what sometimes comes out of my mouth. And it says that a cheerful heart or a good heart, however you want to read that, is a continual feast. When you look at the culture in which this was written, the feasts were always around the worship of God. You can look at the, the various feasts that were, they're all around, they involved sacrifice, uh, they uh, involve a commandment even uh, of to rejoice. And they were not solitary events. They were events where people would be together uh, rejoicing and, and praising the Lord and having, having fellowship together. The things that the heart feasts on are the goodness which comes only from God. So the message here comes through in every reading. A heart that is feeding on God's goodness never goes hungry. Amen. So how do we do that? How do we practically put ourselves in a situation, regardless of what we're going through, that, that we're able to have that and it's a, we're all a work in progress. I don't know anybody that does that all the time. 
if you listen, Linda was talking about the you know the superstars. You know, we've all got those people. We've known those people that we think, well, I could never be like them. But if you listen to uh, Johnny's radio podcasts and, and read her books, uh, Johnny uh, Erickson Tata, she will tell you every day's not like that for me. I have to rely on God, just you know, just like anybody else. I have to I have to ask Him for for His sustenance because I don't have it. He, she, uh, the way I remember her saying, "I don't have a smile today, Lord. You're going to have to give me one." There are some things that are not helpful. Complaining is not helpful. Complaining, in fact, insults God because it says, what, you're getting, what you've done for me is not good enough. I don't like it. it. And it makes him angry. All you have to do is read the book of Exodus and find out that. Another thing that is not helpful is worry. And we really ought not to be worrying over things. I don't mean that doesn't mean that it don't plan, that doesn't mean don't be aware of, of things and, and and make good decisions based on what you know. But Jesus even tells us, God knows what you need. Amen. You don't need to worry about it. God knows what you need. Look at the birds and the flowers, Matthew chapter six. Aren't you worth a whole? Aren't you worth more than the birds? God knows what you need. He'll take care of you. Amen. Don't we worry about it? It affects your health. Uh, causes all kind of different things. Stomach ulcers, all kind of problems come out of out of anxiety, out of worry. And another thing, Jesus tells you in in that same chapter, it doesn't change a thing. Worrying does not change a thing. And in fact, it can make it worse. Yep. Because worry is based in fear. It's worse than being afraid. It's based in being afraid of what might happen. And when you're afraid of what might happen, it can lead you either to foolish decisions that are made out of fear or it can lead you to paralysis and not doing anything. And if you're facing a disability, it'll add to your disability and make it worse. Because now you're you're paralyzed by your own fear. Anger is not helpful. Even if it's justified, it's harmful to hold on to. I think that's another reason why we're taught to, to forgive. God loves us. He doesn't want us to live that way. It's not healthy. It's not right. It leads to bitterness. And out of bitterness, we lash out and we wound people that are innocent. And we hurt those around us that we ought to uh, ought to be reaching out to in love. Trust and anger at God is the most sad, and I've had it. I've been there, but don't be angry. <coughs> Trust Him instead. Things that are helpful to do. Choose life, if I could put it very succinctly. Choose life. Every moment, and boy, did I get tested. Did I get tested on this? Every moment is a new opportunity to make the right choices. I had my I had my head buried in something last night, and I was 
uh, feeling behind. I didn't, I didn't. I have a list of things that I always like to get done on the weekend, and I wasn't getting there. And Linda came in and, and, and said, "Hey, I need you to do this. Uh, I need to go to bed. I need you to do this now." And I, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. Just kind of, you know, responded in, a, in an unhealthy way. And I, I thought, here you are going to preach on this, and you responded like that. So I had to say, you know what, I'm sorry. That was not the right response. I'm getting tested and I'm failing. So how do you respond? doesn't matter what you did a few minutes ago. How are you going to respond going forward? Every new situation, everything that happens in your day is a new opportunity. Are you going to respond in a positive way? Or are you going to respond in a negative way? Second helpful thing that, that you can do is stay connected. Stay connected first of all with God. Stay in His Word. Stay in prayer. And stay connected with your brothers and sisters. You know, I've heard it said that misery loves company. Let me tell you something, friends. That's bad company. Find the people instead that will encourage you, that will help you. Again, uh, not to say that you can't find some some help in being around people that uh, are facing similar troubles, but encourage each other, build each other up. I'll just commiserate. We were not meant to be alone. We need to be in fellowship with others. God made us like that. And finally, begin to renew your mind. Begin to act purposefully to change your thinking. We did a study sometime back on, on Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But choose to think and to focus on things that are good. I'm going to turn to another passage that I'll bet you we can, uh, most of us can even quote it. And I didn't put it on the screen, but if you want to look it up, it's Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 6 through 8 because it just fits so well into this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on the Word of God. Well, on things that uplift you. Growing up, we used to have worship music playing all the time in the house. And I remember we were we were told, you know, that the enemy doesn't like the enemy doesn't like to be in the presence of, of, of worship. So, you know, 
It's almost like a, a uh, something that you know, kind of ward off the demons thing, the way I thought of it as growing up. But, but it was more than that. It was to help, your, help you center your spirit away from the things that you have constantly going into your brain. Not the uh, worldly things that uh, that are in the you know TV we might watch or uh, books we might not read. And I'm, I'm as bad as anybody about choosing the wrong things sometimes to, to put in my head. But if you're trying to redirect your mind and to change the way of your heart, then put good things in. We all know that computer term, garbage in, garbage out, right? <clears throat> what that what that means is, you know, when you're programming a computer, if you do it wrong, you're going to get the wrong results out. Well, our minds are kind of that way to some respect. If we're constantly putting bad things in, bad things are what's going to come out. So focus on good things. And finally, and most important, I think, get beyond yourself. If all you can do is pray for others, then pray for others. But be involved in helping wherever you can because it will help you to gain a new perspective. There is nothing more helpful, I think, for depression, for many of the things that they are, are thinking in particular, just to be participating in some way in doing something good. My pastor always said, do something good for somebody this week. How about do something good for somebody every day if you can? Because when you're thinking about other people, you're not thinking about yourself. So what have we come back to? We've come back to my favorite subject, love. Love people. When you're loving other people, you're not thinking about yourself. And it gives you the opportunity. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more uh, wonderful than, than, than seeing the results of that coming back at you. If I could, say, if I could sum up in one word the, the answer to the, the question, how do I have a happy heart? It would be love. So, Lord, thank you, thank you for for showing us throughout the Scripture how we ought to live. We have been made in Your image, so when we do the things that You do, we all expect that uh, that we'll find fulfillment. We have been given of your spirit as, as your children who belong to you. So help us as we go forth to make that transition, to find joy wherever we can find it, to, to rejoice in your love, to rejoice in your forgiveness, to, to take that, get out beyond ourselves and share it with those around us. In Jesus' name.